the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The book of Judges provides for us glimpses of Jesus in a very dark time. Israel kept doing evil in the sight of the Lord, but he kept providing these judges to redeem them. The similarities are great, as we'll see next on Way of Grace. stop to consider the fact that the strength of our enemies is in direct correlation to God's disapproval of us? The more that we sin against God, the greater strength our enemies have for us. Welcome to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand. We'll explore that truth as well as others as we take a look at Ehud. I have a secret for you. He is the left-handed judge, and therein lies a lot of interest as well. Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. I will raise the question as we dive into our text. We are dealing with a portion of Scripture where we are marking now the second of our seven judges. His name is Ehud, Ehud, or you can say Ehud, Ehud. We go Ehud, and that's okay. It just sounds like East Bay mud, uh, but we're going to go Ehud, Ehud. Now, Ehud is our second judge, and if Othniel, which was prior to Ehud, was a model judge, as we learned, he became for us what leadership should be like in the home and in the, in the government and in the world where there is a, a, a system of relationship that constitutes a man and a woman and a family and the whole entire enterprise of what we have called the franchise of God, which is marriage. So Othniel for us is a model of government. This is the way the Bible works as well. Men in leadership must follow strict biblical parameters and uh, prerogatives and standards to be a biblical leader in God's uh, church. And our world could stand the same thing. So we learned a lot from Othniel. Today we're going to deal with a man who is not a model so much, but he's a mystery. He is a mystery judge. I will say to you quickly, if you're new, what we are dealing with in the Old Testament context of addressing uh, the uh, redemptive and practical and spiritual significance of the text is is a concept around spiritual things versus carnal or material things. You might be new to the Bible and you might be a bit put off by language that talks about killing all kinds of people. Well, understand it is not your job nor mine in terms of our personal calling as believers to be about the business of killing people physically. But your job is definitely to be about the business of fighting spiritual battles. That is not an option. You and I are called to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of what? 
eternal life. And so the narrative in front of us will highlight how God works in his people and with his people to overcome their adversaries and obstacles so they can possess what God has called them to possess in terms of their inheritance. This is going to be the sequence and pattern running through the book of Judges for you and me without a doubt. And what you will discover is that each judge corresponds to a particular need for the people of God in the context of that particular captivity that they find themselves in. You will discover that each judge is a pattern and motto and and reflection of the peculiar trial and difficulty that the people of God happen to be in. All of our trials are not the same. One trial is different from another trial, and they must be met by deliverances that correspond to that trial. That's the way that God's work, God works. And so in the idea of how, how does the book of Judges benefit you and benefit me? Well, it does it this way. You and I, if we're truly saved, have been redeemed. Is that not so? And as the redeemed people of God, we've been bought and brought out of bondage and captivity. And we have been called into a kingdom where we are to serve God. But sadly, as you read in the context, but Israel once again sinned against the Lord, rebelled. So do we. We find that we move from redemption to rebellion as a pattern of evidence that we are between grace and glory. And because of it, we got to wrestle with the reality that we do not do God's will perfectly or constantly as we ought, and thus we come to learn who we are and who he is in this rhythm of a relationship by which his redemption and our rebellion leads to repercussions that ultimately leads to repentance, that ultimately leads to restoration. That is the pattern. And what you and I are learning in the book of Judges is we get into trouble quickly and we don't always get out of that trouble as quickly as we want. We will note that this time around, they are in captivity for 18 years and not just eight. And so from time to time, what we will discover is, is our sinful propensities and bents will leave us stuck way longer than we thought we would be. And God will have to work with that in order to help us understand what we are and what we are not. Because a lot of times we are trapped because we think we're something that we're not. And God has to bring reality to bear upon us so that we can realize that without him, we can do nothing. And so the passage is laying out really the highlighting of the modality or method that God would use to deliver you and me and help us to see the larger panoramic view of the redemptive work of Christ for our souls. It can be said that the account before us is a a view of our personal spiritual battles where we have compromised obedience to God and we're in a fight now. We're in a fight. Or we may see this as the troubles of life surrounding us in general as providentially occurring to yet sanctify us unto God and conform us to Christ. Does that make some sense? Sometimes a trial is a direct consequence of our rebellion. At other times, it's just part of the journey. Sometimes we'll wake up in the midst of a conflict that we didn't start, but we got to navigate our way through it. 
Sometimes God will allow you and I to go through difficulties that we can't pinpoint as what the original cause correlation is, but he's going to use it to sanctify you anyway. Let me build my argument because I could. Often children are a model of that. They didn't ask to come. They end up in somebody else's mess. And God uses that to shape their character and grow them too. And so it is with you and I. Sometimes a trial occurs and we can't really make heads or tail out of it. We just have to go through it and learn something about the ways of God. And so it is uh, with what we are dealing with in the text before us. It helps us discover hidden and defective motives on our part, does it not? A lot of times a trial will smoke you out and you'll discover you're worse than you thought you were. Well, I thought I was better than that. You come to discover, no, you're not all that. Right? Whoa. Whoa, just back on up, brother. No, you're not all that. And so our Lord is teaching a lot of things about our trials. And this is what I would say. Fight the good fight of faith. Do not, do not be afraid to fail. Do not be afraid to fail because in your failure, you learn a whole lot more than you do in your successes. In fact, your your successes are actually a delusion because you define them. And, you know, we always make that fish larger than it really is. But when you fail, you get to see yourself the way God does. And then you get to grow. This is what our WTC will be all about over the next 13 weeks. Learning to see ourselves in the light of God and make the necessary adjustments. And so it is with all of us. I learn a whole lot more by my mistakes and my failures than I do by my pattern of obedience. That is really a consequence of God's grace as well. Quite frankly, I don't get to boast in it, but I learn a whole lot more in the fire than I do under the shade tree of his grace and mercy often. And so we're going to take up four critical points in our outline. And I want to make sure I can get in front of you before that blood drains your head and settles in. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers. You are the best. God bless you and God keep you. And God calls his face to shine upon you. And God lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. You are the best. Point number one in our outline, something for us to consider. As we said, we are dealing with a pattern that occurs. And if you learn how to dance with God, again, you WTC, remember this, the romance of dance with God. When you learn how to dance with God, you can keep up with him when he's doing what he does. And you can make the turns and pivots when God makes turns and pivots. Here in our context, we are discovering that Israel is not keeping up with God. You're supposed to cry out when you fall. Did you know that? Right. So you fight. And when you fail, you don't keep fighting. You cry. Because when you cry, God becomes a very present help in time of need. But what you and I are about to discover is we often wait a long time before we cry. We often wait a long time before we cry. And that's where we discover the kind of person we really are. Proud, self-righteous, right? prevaricating, vacillating, arguing, justifying, avoiding all kinds of things we are. And we do everything but cry. So God will go, okay, I can work with that too. Not that he didn't already know it, but he'll take that 18 years and show you some things about yourself. 
And that's what we're dealing with now. The mystery is that we don't cry. Isn't that something? And you do discover that when you finally cry out, God shows up and helps you out. Now, why don't we cry sooner? Because our hearts get hardened in these patterns. Point number one, therefore, the strength of our enemy is God's disapproval of us. The strength of our enemy is God's disapproval of us. Will you look with me at verse number 12 in our text, verse number 12, and and Mark just highlight for the moment this important truth. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord, what? That's crazy. The Lord strengthened their enemies, strengthened them. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. Now that word there really means to harden his heart. To harden his heart. I'm going to go into it in a moment because right now, uh, Eklon, king of Moab, is not the children of Israel's enemy. He's their friend. And remember, I told you, God does not deliver you from your friends. He only delivers you from your enemies. So when you and I uh, depart from God and start hanging out with things and people and situations that are friendly to us, but are enemies to God, don't be surprised when your friends become your enemies. And this is what God will do when he wakes you up from that postmodern, irrational fantasy you're walking in, that this is my friend, when God has always said, no, that thing is not your friend. That thing is your enemy. And the best thing God could ever do is show the true nature of that thing so you can hurry up and realize you're in a bad place. So God strengthened the heart of Eklon. Really, it meant that he hardened his heart against Israel because all of Israel had gone a whoring under the idols of the Moabites. They had gone a whoring again, forsaking faithfulness to Christ and worshiping secular idols and having a good time in hypocritical religion. And now God's cutting the lights on. He turns Eglon's heart against the people of God as he did with Pharaoh in Egypt. Literally, the same term is to harden Eglon's heart. That means now Eglon is not looking at the children of Israel favorably anymore. He's now an adversary. And look what it says he did in verse 13. I want to build this for you for a moment to help you understand the danger of God strengthening our enemies. And he gathered unto him, that is Eglon, the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and did what? Smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. We have a map up there. If you can pull that up, I'm always looking for my indicator. I want you to get a visual of this for a moment um, if the map comes up. Yep, it's a little far away. You younger people will be able to see this. You'll be able to see, (laughs) you'll be able to see in the center of the map over by Jerusalem and Jericho, the name Ehud. Do you see Ehud? In the center of the map, you see Ehud? Okay, y'all see East Bay Mud? You see it? All right, it's important for you to see there. He's right in what will be the capital of Israel when David takes over some 400 years from now. It's called Jerusalem. It's the area of uh, uh, Judah. But Jericho is also there. Do you see Jericho right above Jerusalem? Jericho was the first campaign that Joshua had to engage in to bring Israel into the promised land. Y'all remember that big issue? Well, Jericho is called a fortress city. 
it was on the border of the River Jordan because in order to come into Canaan, you had to come through Jericho. It represents a very powerful fortress, a very powerful front and opposition against God. It wasn't just a city. It was a military city. Now, Joshua knocked the city down. But notice what Eklon does. He takes the city back. Now, there's no city there. There's just land and it's represented by the palm trees. He takes the land back, which means he's controlling the border. Because on each side of the border, if you look very carefully, you'll see Benjamin and Reuben and Gad. Do you see that? Benjamin, Reuben and Gad, they had made a deal with God to be on that side of the Jordan while the other tribes were on the inside of the Palestinian domain. All right. So if you look to the uh, middle of the map, all the way to the far extreme, you see the term Ammon. Do you see Ammon? And if you go all the way down and move over towards the left, you'll see Moab. Do you see Moab? Good. Now I want you to go further left and south and you will see the Amalekites. Now there's a word Philistine, Amalekite, Jebusite, and Amorites. Do you see it? All right. A little later on in our judges campaign, the real foe we're going to be dealing with are the Philistines. But the foes we're dealing with now are likened unto them, but uniquely different. The word Amalekite must come to the forefront of your mind because there are three nations now that Eklon has brought together with himself, Moab, Ammon, and the Amalekites. They are a confederacy. They are a conspiratorial set of nations operating now to take all of Palestine back from Israel. Do you guys see that? Right. This is a big campaign. In other words, Eklon is serious about taking over, is he not? Serious about taking over. And it is in this context that God says he strengthened his hand. They made an agreement. They gathered together. They set up their plans. And the next thing you know, Israel is in captivity 18 years. This is the bondage that they brought themselves into when they rebelled against the true and the living God. Listen to how David says this in Psalm 41, 11. Psalm 41, 11. I want you to capture this, too, because these applications are for you and me. Listen to how David says. Now, does David know something about war? Is David not a man of war? In fact, I'm going to make an argument that if we're going to be warriors, male or female, we want to be Davidian warriors. We want to be Judite warriors. We do not want to be Benjamite warriors. I'm going to help you understand that here in a moment. But today, I'm glad Benjamin's showing up. I don't care who show up when I'm in bondage. Help me get out. But you really don't want to be a Benjamite warrior. You want to be a Davidic warrior. Listen to what David says. By this, I know that you show favor to me. Do you see that? By this, I know. Now, there are many things you and I can know that constitutes God's favor in our life. And that ought to be important to you. You should be able to discern when God is being favorable and when he's taking his hand off of you. You should be able to discern when God is disciplining you and chastising you or when God is showing you overtures of his grace to lead you out of trouble. You should be able to discern when the Lord is sensibly present in your life in real tangible blessings that constitutes his approval versus his just passive tolerance of maybe your lack of commitment to him or your overt rebellion. Do I have to drill down into that? My point that I'm making is a lot of times Christians don't even have a clear discerning sense when they are not right with the Lord. 
And that has everything to do with sensibility in your walk with Christ. If your walk with Christ is not well, you might be the last person to know how far you are off from the sensible providential graces of God. This is often what happens when sin hardens our heart. Here's what David said. Now, David had a lot of enemies, didn't he? Here's what he says. Now I know that you favor me because my enemies do not what? Triumph over me. You will mark that David prayed over and over and over again. Lord, deliver me from my enemies because they are too great for me. Lord, my enemies are more than the hairs of my head. Deliver me, O Lord. And you would hear in David's prayers, which are Psalms, David would be explicit, would he not, about the details of his adversaries as they came after him. Lord, you hear their plans. You hear their machinations. You hear how they're setting up ways to destroy your anointed. Be swift, O Lord, to deliver me. What a prayer in time of trouble. See, this is why God loved him some David. David knew how to call on God. When he got in trouble, only one time David hung out too long and it tore up the whole kingdom. But most of the time, David knew how to call on God preemptively before things got worse. Here he is thanking God for his enemies not triumphing over him. This is a good word for you, ladies and gentlemen. Every day that you're walking in the freedom and grace and mercy of God and you see signals of his approval in your life, you ought to thank him for not allowing your enemies to triumph over you. This is really a good signal. This is a really a good signal because the way we degrade into uh, bad situations with God is first, we're not remembering the Lord's goodness. Secondly, we're not giving him thanks for his normative blessings in our life. Often, the only thing that's needed to turn around your lackadaisical state is to start thanking God for his goodness in your life. And this is what David is doing in this text. So I want you to just kind of mark what David is doing here, thanking God for not letting his enemies overtake him. But that was not the case for Israel. So under sub point A, we have a strategic attack at Jericho, which is the city of palm trees, uh, clearly denoted in in, uh, Judges chapter one and Deuteronomy 34, three. Pull that up. Deuteronomy 34, three. One note. And then we're going to our second point so we can move on a strategic attack. The application to be drawn from that for you and me is sometimes we just don't know how formidable our foes are going to be against us. And it really doesn't ultimately matter so long as you actually know how to get to God. And when once you get to God, you got to know how once you get to God, wait on God to deliver you. Once again, the formula is this. You are called every day to fight the good fight of faith. You are also encouraged never to worry about failing. Failure is part of the plan. God has rigged it that you win anyway. So often he lets you fall to give you a beeline to connect with him because he plainly lays out in the scripture, whosoever shall call upon me, I will deliver him. And by his calling on me, he will glorify me. Frequently, God simply wants you to respond when you're in trouble. Lord, deliver me. And that's really the issue. And so we have in Deuteronomy 34, verse 3, which is where Moses is about to die. And he's looking out over the plains of Palestine, over the whole of Canaan. And the first thing he sees, which is right over by Moab, which he's going to die in the mountains of Moab, 
is the plains of Jericho. And notice in the south, in the plain, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zoar. Keep that in mind because when we get to Sister Deborah, this is where she sits in judgment. Okay, we'll come back and unpack its spiritual significance later. This is the text unto Zoar, maybe verse four as well. Deuteronomy 34, four, and we'll go back. And the Lord said unto Moses, this is the land which I swear unto Abram, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it unto your seed. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over. So Moses shows us the land through God's guidance. He doesn't go over, but Israel does. And in less than 100 years, they're brought into captivity. See, God's vision for us is frequently different than our vision for him. We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you here in God's Word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.